Hey listeners, Professor Wagstaff here. I'd like to thank you for tuning in as always. And by now, uh, you have noticed that we are venturing into a little bit of a different territory with true crime. Uh, with that said, wanted to give a little heads up. The episodes are going to be a little different uh, for these first couple of installments. Uh, just due simply to the fact that we bit off a little bit more than we realized uh, until the episode got going. So it ended up uh, having a pretty long runtime, and in the future moving forward, we'll just stick to one case per episode, uh, as opposed to when we recorded this, where the first two ended up being almost two hours long. So with that said, we have decided to split these into two separate episodes, so you will get the second one uh, here in a couple of weeks. So if it seems a little abrupt with the ending and the start of the next one, that's why. Hope you enjoy the show. to another exciting episode of the Midwest Monsters Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Grizzly Adner, and I'm joined by... Professor Wagstaff. Venomous Vinny. And Hot Toddy. Folks, we have got just a treat lined up for you this evening. Just a treat. We are uh, trying out a new format. Um, you know, uh, we used to do, when we began, we were doing franchises or topical episodes or director spotlights or subgenres. Um, and then we brought on the Monster Mash, which would, is an opportunity to talk about some films that we may not come up in any of those sorts of topics. And we've decided it's time to introduce a new uh, format to introduce into the rotation. And we are going to be talking about true crime as it is portrayed in film. Um, so we are not trying to go 100%, you know, full storytelling of the crimes or of the uh the criminals themselves but basically we want to pick a film and some you know some of them have multiple films made about them and so we will visit multiple films about the same people um as long as they're good and uh so we will cover um just a little bit of each of the real life cases and the films as we go along here so um let's talk true crime for a minute uh we all have some sort of slight interest in true crime, if Certainly. I'm not mistaken. Yes. Uh, professor, tell us about your um, your foray into true crime and how that how that happened. Um, the the two that really grabbed me early on, um, one was a serial killer, Jack the Ripper. I was fascinated with the idea of uh, a different time and place um, that was scary to put yourself in. Uh, the fact that it was never solved, um, and I would sit at a fairly young age and think about like timetables and how, like how long if he had been this young when he did it, if he could have still been walking this earth, like when my grandma was mm. and these things just kind of captivated me. I kind of blossomed out with that, uh, that in the JFK assassination, which obviously is not a serial killer, but a, a 
a memorable crime event that has all kinds of conspiracies um, and interesting uh, aspects to it. So I liked learning different theories that people had on it and the impact that it had on society and the people who tried to either save lives, solve, you know, the situations. I, I think typically uh, with any true crime story, there's usually an interesting detective with it. Um, just because of of what they're putting themselves in front of for you know the sake of of the society that they're helping to try to protect. Absolutely. Um, you know, just like one name is uh, Frank Salerno, and mm-hmm. out in L.A., he helped. Well, he caught the Hillside Strangler, which turned out to be plural. Spoiler alert for maybe a later what? episode. Uh, but then he also helped catch the Night Stalker. Now you will have all kinds of people who know both those cases, but have never heard his name right he's the rock star and so i've always found that interesting like just the high stakes that a detective has put in to try and figure those things out and uh before i pass it off to benny one funny story is um in the middle of summer much like a day like today i remember my dad coming into me when i was fairly young and i was reading a jack the ripper book sitting in my bedroom and he was like hey uh buddy don't you think maybe you should go outside and play it's the (laughs) middle of summer you shouldn't be in here looking at this um, so, I mean, this is this has always been something that interested me. Um, I always like, and I think why it ties in with horror films is running at what scares you. Yeah. And one of the ones we covered tonight, I've ran at, you know, reading more than any other true crime because mm-hmm. it truly unsettles me. Yeah. So, for sure. Um, this, doing this episode this time has kind of brought me back uh, to the subject of true crime, which is something I've not visited in long time uh, i used to be pretty interested in it um, as i've gotten older and it may even be after becoming a parent uh, <clears throat> the reality i i tend to not like the reality of it yeah. so much um, so i've kind of almost purposely the last close to 20 years not really delved into it i've, I've liked my horror uh, i've liked my horror more fantasy oriented um, but back in high school, I think it started with me. I was always fascinated with, uh, like the gunslingers, the old West, uh, Billy, the kid, doc holiday, all those outlaws, which then later kind of bled into, I w- was very interested in the Manson family murders. Um, <clears throat> and when I, and I would, I guess I'm, I'm fascinated by the psychology of, what makes these people commit these type of crimes? I'm fascinated by that end of it. Um, and I'm, I in no way idolize it, but I'm fascinated in some cases by the intellect of some of these killers. Like some things are just astounding on how intelligent they are and, and how far they, they thought ahead and this and that. I don't know. That's that's where my interest lies with this kind of thing. So this this episode kind of brought me back to something that I used to enjoy that I've kind of intentionally stayed away from, and I feel like has kind of uh, reawakened that interest a little bit. Toddy, um, I think for me, uh, if I have to think about it, where um, my dad probably got me into horror films. My mom hates horror, but my mom loves like murder mystery. Uh, like Columbo and, and Sherlock Holmes. And so when I think about it, I think I probably got like uh, my interest for true crime from my mom. My mom's the same way. Um, I'll walk in now and <clears throat> I couldn't put in a horror movie without her yelling at me and screaming, but she'll watch 
snapped and all these all these shows about oh, like yeah. you know real life killers my mom calls it her murder porn. <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so i think that's one aspect and then um probably for me um in watching all these films was probably i don't know it's probably like older than 10 when i started finding out that like movies like psycho was based off you know real killers and i was i was never interested like um I think to me it was more about like how the crimes were solved or, um, you know, um, unfortunately many of these are unsolved, but like how, uh, the work that's put into it of, of trying to figure out who done it. And then, um, I think the other aspect from, uh, from my childhood was I had a, a friend growing up and I remember TV. Um, I think I kind of like the time period that we grew up is when, you know, like unsolved mysteries and stuff started becoming a thing. And like, um, uh, was like America's Most Wanted and, and and stuff like that. Those were becoming popular. I remember dating um, like one of the channels, like ABC or CBS, did a, a new special on a a crime in Richmond about a girl who was uh just just disappeared and then they found her dead body later. And as I'm telling my friend this, he's like, "Yeah, that's my sister." And I just remember that early on. And uh, uh, th- that happened in the '80s. Uh, they never found out what happened to her till like the 2000s. And it was a couple like uh, kids from a, a group home in town had had taken her and, and abducted her and and they raped her and killed her. You're not talking um, about the Nikki McCowan case. Not right? Nikki McCowan, okay. but that is another that one. That one's though. still unsolved, right? Yeah, Nikki. Yeah. Um, you know, I just saw another recent one too, and and they think the guy that did it is they think the guy that killed her is a serial killer that has killed multiple women. But yeah, that's another case. It's just. Uh, I don't know. To, to me, to me, I'm not. I don't ever feel like. Um, as much as I love horror, and I'll wear Freddy and Jason, and um, I don't know. I just. I'm fascinated by the crimes, but I can't wear a T-shirt with Manson's face on it, or uh, you know Jim Jones, who came from our hometown, and and um, I think I'm more interested in it because of the victims. And then when you think about like the families that, especially the ones that have not been. Um, resolve like all the unanswered questions that they yeah. probably have and um at an early age uh i started going from like stephen king to i would read true crime stuff and i would always uh again to me it was never about the killer it was about the victims and and, and like how some of them escaped and and the detectives that pit hours and hours into trying to catch them or, or coming close so i think that's where it started for me and then just always kind of had an interest for for true crime and then um as we go into these movies, I think another fascinating thing is thinking about the technology we have now compared oh, to, yeah. you know, Good which time. Um, some of that we'll talk about like in Zodiac and stuff. But um, I think an example would be the um, Nicole Brown and um, OJ Simpson. Well, he wasn't murdered. <laughs> Who was the other guy? Uh, Ron, Goldman. Ron, Goldman. Ron Goldman. That if, if that same thing happened today, that one drop of blood would have convicted him. Yeah. Um, where, you know, that wasn't even that long ago. That was when we were teenagers um 20 years ago yeah so um just the just the technology and stuff that they have now uh uh, and how they how they can crack down um like the the recent serial killer that was just caught from um a family member doing a dna test so um definitely always find it interesting but but kind of for more of those reasons than than like ever glorifying uh right a serial killer And, and on the other side of it with the serial killers i am always just a million questions like you know like why and and what made him do this and and what makes him tick and mm-hmm. so 
that's where I come from on it. Right on. When I think about uh, what got me into true crime, I think it was a spinoff of my interest in the paranormal. Like it was just like mm -hmm. a natural launching point from there. Um, as I've talked about before, I didn't grow up the biggest fan of horror movies because I was a scaredy cat, as I like to say. Um, but paranormal stuff frightened me to death, but it was easier to like read the little books I got from the library than it was to sit down and watch something gory on the screen. Yeah. Are you talking um, about Goosebumps? Uh, well, I did like some Goosebumps. Say Cheese and Die was my favorite one. Um, so... My paranormal books, I think I've talked about on the show before, there was a book called The Very Scary Almanac um, that was my favorite, and it was just this little tiny book, smaller than even like this little address book that I've got here. Um, and it was paranormal, and it was real life, and it was true crime, and it was like all this stuff blended together. And that's where I first read about Vlad the Impaler, and that's where I first read about Ed Gein and like some of these guys. And I thought, oh my gosh, these people are real life monsters, you know? And so that's where it started. And then uh, in college, um, we were visiting um, uh, Professor, our old roommate, Eric Davis. We were visiting his mom, Debbie, up in Chicago. Mm -hmm. And uh, she says, oh, if we're interested in that, I've got something for you. And she gave me an encyclopedia. I remember looking at that in the SUV. Killers. Yep. So she gave me my first true crime book, a little encyclopedia. I don't know if it was that same trip, but I remember buying a huge book on the Green River Killer. That may have been where it all that started. Same trip. And so she gave me that. And then uh, also that was the first time that I had seen um, the devil's knot sitting on a shelf. And I found it a couple months later at a Goodwill. And so I read about the West Memphis Three. And so both of those books, this encyclopedia of serial killers and devil's knot really cemented my interest in true crime. Um, but yeah, I'm right there with you guys. And why don't we just use this as a stepping point to launch into this? Like I, I'm not into the glorification of it. Um, there's a great documentary on Netflix called Serial Killer Culture, mm -hmm. um, which explores. Which just, we had the director of that on yeah. our, on the show many years ago at that's, this point. That's right. That's right. Because he's done some great documentaries on Albert Fish. Yep. John Borowski. John Borowski. Um, it's a great documentary, but like you see some people on there that are interesting. Like they, they have like a, a vested interest in true crime like we do. And then some people are just like, I wouldn't even want to be in the same fucking room with that guy. Yeah. Of how like creepy they are about how much they're into serial killers. Mm -hmm. like, well, and it can show it. you too what that, I think it really does well is showing that line that we cross where we leave empathy behind. Yeah. The fact that Milwaukee has tours that the city sanctions for people to go look at sites where Jeffrey Dahmer operated. Mm -hmm. That's bizarre to me. Yeah. You still have family members of these victims living Right. There, who have to be around that. It's different than the Whitechapel tours. Yeah, yeah. We got some distance there. <laughs> yeah. Not too soon on that one. So, yeah, I mean, it's interesting, too, how it shows that line that so many people dance and how some people it's well, a very healthy thing and for others, here's eh, an, a little weird. Here's an example I can give you. When I was 16, 17, like I say, I was very interested in the Manson murders. Just one year in high school, I went as Charles Manson for Halloween. I'm a 40-year-old man now. I would never, ever do that again. Uh, we would like to clarify that <laughs> Venomous Vinny does not reflect the opinions of <laughs> no, the podcast. I'm saying I'm a 40-year-old man now. And now, but I think that especially, at least this is the way it was for me when I was younger. Uh, and I think a lot of people view things this way. It's easy to view it as a story. It's easy to view it as a movie. It's yeah, easy to view true. it as a as. You know what I mean? And you 
you forget that these were living, breathing people. You forget that these victims leave behind family and friends. And that's why I say, as a 16-year-old kid, that didn't register with me. Yeah. And I'm glad you said that because it's a perfect segue. Um, Anne Rule, crime writer that we're going to talk about extensively here in just a, a few moments, uh, in her book, The Stranger Beside Me, about Ted Bundy, uh, talks exactly about what you were talking about. And I just want to share this really quickly because I think it sums up a bit of what we're talking about. Don't worry. This is the only time I'm reading from the book. You guys are looking at me. <laughs> you read one book. And... <laughs> uh, when I began writing fact detective stories, fact, not fat detective stories. When I started reading, <laughs> when I began writing fact detective stories, I promised myself that I would always remember I was writing about the loss of human beings, that I was never to forget that. I hope that the work I did might somehow save other victims, might warn them of the danger. I never wanted to become tough, to seek out the sensational and the gory, and I never have. I have joined the committee of friends and families of missing persons and victims of violent crimes at the invitation of the group. I've met many parents of victims, cried with them, and yet I have somehow felt guilty because I make my living from other people's tragedies. When I told the committee how I felt, they put their arms around me and said, no, keep on writing. Let the public know how it is for us. Let them know how we hurt and how we try to save other parents' children by working for new legislation that requires mandatory sentencing and the death penalty for killers. And I just really respected that of this 400-page book, she took the time to clarify that she doesn't enjoy this. Mm -hmm. This work that she does about true crime is not about it's something that's titillating for her or just another way to make money. It's a true definition of a calling. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, so we we said all, everything that we just said is to say why we're interested in true crime, but also to say that, um, you know, we as hosts are not doing this to uh, glorify what these idiots, these no. monsters have done. No. And so please understand that as you listen to these episodes, as we bring these into the rotation, that this is not going to be something we're like, oh, man, wasn't that cool? How, he, you know, he bashed her brains in with a log. No. These people are monsters. And, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about the death penalty and how we feel about that. I'm sure we'll talk about sentencing and some of those things. Um, but just know that this is coming from a position of interest in the human brain and how twisted it can become, but also how brilliant the people who chased them were. And also from human emotion, as all of our lives are not devoid of tragedy, that we just can't imagine what some of these people and their families have gone through. Certainly. So... That being said, our two films that we covered for this episode are uh, what uh, Professor and I like to refer to as one of the greatest films made of the last two decades. Yes. <laughs> the Zodiac. And then um, The Stranger. No, The, the, the Deliberate stranger. stranger. I'm thinking of the book. Yeah, no, The Deliberate Stranger. So The Zodiac, spoiler alert, is about the Zodiac killer. <laughs> and uh, Deliberate Stranger is about Ted Bundy. So we're doing, uh, we're doing Zodiac Zodiac. I watched to catch a killer. <laughs> <laughs> I watched to catch a predator. <laughs> so, uh, I read, Ke Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I read Jack Ketchum's books. <laughs> Ugh. Ugh, that'd be worse than what we're doing. Um, so let's start off with the Zodiac. Who's got some details. All right. The Zodiac uh, basically had five confirmed kills, a serial killer in Northern California operating in the 60s and 70s. Uh, he possibly, or she, 
possibly killed 20 to 28 people and uh, claimed to have killed 37. This case, to this day, remains unsolved. 37? Yeah, claimed to have killed 37. Um, case remains unsolved to this day, um, and the infatuation with it only continues to grow, I think, uh, with solving it and the mystery of it with each passing year. Uh, the you know the film that we're covering on this episode, Zodiac, certainly helped fuel that. It even reopened the case in real life. The movie, After the movie came out, they reopened oh. it. Um, so this one, because there's so much speculation, there's so many potential things that this killer did even before the first confirmed one. We'll leave the majority of that up to you. If you want to, you know, read about it, Robert Graysmith's book is probably the most definitive one. Um, and obviously the internet is a useful tool. Uh, all of that information is out there, but but we're not going to cover, uh, every single theory and every single uh, potential thing that this person did. Uh, we will go through a few things that we know for sure. Uh, the first confirmed kill happened at Lake Herman Road. Um, the Zodiac, as you'll see, the MO switched up, which I think is what uh, intrigues a lot of people. Uh, typically with serial killers, you have a consistent thing um, where they may switch up little things, but by and large, what they do stays relatively the same and and that's how detectives try and catch them Mm -hmm. uh with this the zodiac kind of jumped around with um some pretty bizarre uh differences but starting out they were very similar um lake herman uh the lake herman road attack was a couple uh that on december 20th 1968 uh were shot to death out on like basically lover's lane Mm -hmm. um the way that the bodies were found would indicate that the man was shot first at the car and the woman ran away and was shot in the back. I think they found her on her side so many feet away from the car where she had tried to flee. Um, but things would, would go on with the case to where they were able to confirm that this was in fact the same person. Um, now, as we discuss the movie, uh, something important to remember with that is the only things covered in the movie had someone that could corroborate it. There was nobody at this. That's why it's not covered in the movie. So with Zodiac, that'll open with the next incident because somebody survived that. Yeah. But this is technically the first um, with that. Uh, I mean, there's really not a whole lot to it. With the Zodiac, they would walk up to the car, um, blind them with the flashlight that they had attached to the gun so that it all, you weren't sure if it was a cop. Either way, you couldn't see him or what was going on. Um, and then they would unload on him and shoot the couple. Um, the next attack would happen, uh, the following July, July 4th, 1969. Um, and that's where our movie opens. I don't know. We'll go more into the movie after the the basics here, but, um, we had another couple that was out, out of lover's lane. Um, the car pulled up, then left, then came back. The boy that was with him thought that it had to do with the girl that he was with, that somebody was angry because I think she was married. She yeah. was married. And, um, and so the car comes back, uh, ultimately comes over to the passenger side uh, where the male is and unloads into the car, um, killing Darlene Farron and leaving Michael Majo wounded. He laid out there and, you know, till he was discovered, he'd been shot like through the cheek and out, the side of his, the other side of his face in the knee. 
I mean, blood just everywhere. It's, it's a miracle that he survived. And, um, he is what bookends our film. We have him at the beginning and we use him as the last event that we have at the end of the film as well with the same music playing. Um, so we had, uh, at this point we have three people that this killer is, uh, claimed the life of, and we have one survivor. Um, one of the more chilling events that happened with the Zodiac. And I think what, uh, besides the media attention catapulted kind of the image and the idea that we know of the Zodiac happened at Lake Berryessa. And that's where we had a couple, um, outlaying there, Brian Hartnell and Cecilia Shepard. They were picnicking out on a small Island there. And while laying there, they see a man approaching and the girl points him out and then says, he just went behind that tree, mm-hmm. like right by him. I mean, out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And uh, then he steps out. He has like an executioner's hood on, mm-hmm. uh, sunglasses, uh, what would what we know as the Zodiac logo, which was also uh, attributed to a watch. Zodiac watch. Um, it was basically crosshairs on a site. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's got, I can't remember if it was pieces of clothesline um, or some kind of zip ties. But he has those dangling off his belt. He is armed with a gun that he's got pointed at them, as well as a large knife. Um, he proceeds to make the woman tie him up, the uh, tie up Brian Hartnell. Um, he's telling them that he's escaped from a prison up in is either Idaho or Montana or Montana. somewhere up there, and he was heading to Mexico, and that he had already killed people on his way, and he had no problem doing it again if they didn't listen. Um, Hartnell tries to talk to reason with him offers to help him. He can have his car, his wallet, whatever. He even offers that he knows people that can help him. Yeah. Uh, that is to no avail. Once we have the male tied up, he then ties the woman up and proceeds to viciously stab them. Um, Wasn't the knife like 12 inches long? It was big. Yeah. And uh, Hartnell said, because uh, he survived this, he helped with going out there and scouting Um that he said it was like watching it exactly happen all over again from his point of view. That's how accurate Fincher got it. Yeah. Wow. He said it's, you know, that it was, it, it was a hundred percent accurate. So here we have Hartnell laying there watching after he's been stabbed, watching her be stabbed right by him. He looked away because he said he knew that they were dying and he just couldn't bear to watch. There was nothing he could do to help. So he's they turned the other way. Being stabbed to death is an excruciating death. I can only imagine he, he was tough. He survived this. He, uh, crawled out of there. I think she was able to loosen his stuff up enough to get him to where he could be mobile. He could barely walk. Mm -hmm. He said, I think it was a matter of a a short amount of time until somebody was able to help him. They yelled at boats passing out on the lake. People just kept going by as they're laying there bleeding to death. I think they finally got somebody's attention. But he, he said it felt like he had to walk a mile and that it took all day. And it wasn't that at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was a pretty short distance. Um, but anyways, he survived. She unfortunately did not. So you now have uh, two males who survived. And one is a witness. One is also a witness, but not so much because they had the hood on. Yeah. Um, and... At this point, we have four people dead. We then get to uh, the attack on the taxi driver, Presidio Heights in San Francisco. Uh, That is your poster for the film. 
the view from a neighboring uh, child's bedroom who saw something happening down there, mm-hmm. um, where basically uh, the cab driver pulled up to this corner, uh, Washington and Cherry, and shot him, uh, blew him to pieces all over his cab. Uh, the pictures are pretty gruesome um, in terms of the amount of blood everywhere. And with that, we have the first time where our killer is not secluded. He's gotten bolder. Yeah. And the cops absolutely bungled this. Um, through the true crime episodes, we'll always stand up for detectives and how impressive they are. And this isn't a detective's fault, but just the general process. I don't know if the kid described it wrong or they received it wrong, but they reported a black man doing this. And so as our Zodiac killer exits the car, he's headed down the street on foot and the cops pass him. They even stop him to ask him if they, he saw a black man fleeing, he'd be covered in, you know, but it was in the dark out there. Um, and they let him go because that's not who they were looking for. And I think, and in the, and, I think what I saw said that they had reported that he was wearing black pants that, yeah, and that, that when they it. radioed it, something was lost. lost. Yeah. And so in that instance, a game of telephone, a lot of people have been hard on those, uh, cops that were first responders that let that happen. But at the same time, you don't retain every human being on the way to something that's been reported that you're after because in their, in the seats that they're sitting in, there's a killer on foot right now. And every second spent talking to this guy who doesn't match the description is more time for them to get away right. and harder to pinpoint. So in fairness to them, it's not really their fault. It's the process that, that kind of failed everybody. Um, but we get bolder with uh, our killer at this point because he is now in a crowded city. He's doing this right in front of houses. Uh, a child up in their bedroom saw it happen. Also, this would be confirmed uh, with the killer taking the time when he got out to remove part of the clothing from the driver to take with him that had blood all over it. Is this the where the sketch comes from, the famous Zodiac sketch from this description of the perpetrator? Yes. Okay. Yeah, because they they talked to him. I think there was some other people too. Um, I think maybe Mike Majot had a, a just a loose description. There's, there's, there's a lot dark. of I've heard a lot of uh, there's a lot of discrediting of that description because a lot of people say there's a child cannot provide a good description. They really don't have a sense of of uh, height and things like that. Yeah, honestly, a lot of eyewitness testimony in any cases garbage yeah it's the shocking thing is that like you really have to rely on physical evidence because eyewitness testimony is your mind messes with you in those moments it Um, may be less than 50 50 accurate one so as just as our killer gets uh more bold we then move into what is believed by many people to be the last uh form of attack that we are for sure of and that was in modesto out on a country road um it's portrayed in our movie um, we have Kathleen Johns driving with her, her baby. Um, she was also seven months pregnant and she had a car basically flag her over, uh, because the driver was letting her know that her tire was about to come off. And so he would use this opportunity to get her vulnerable. He's like, I'll tighten it up for you. Well, what he was doing over there is loosening it. So then she pulls away and it's worse which then gets her out of the car and into his. And so he is driving her around. They don't really clarify this in the movie. It's not that important for the telling of the story, but I do think it is a chilling uh, detail. This went on for 90 minutes. She rode with him 
where she could tell that he was just driving around. It wasn't like he was winding it out over a large space. I mean, he was turning 90 minutes. And at one point, um, well, when she first gets in the car, he says, oh, I didn't know you had a baby. Uh, But then he basically says, uh, before he kills her, I'm going to throw your baby out of the car. So uh, she fled and was able to escape, thankfully, um, without being Did she leave out of the moving car? He came up to a four-way stop Mm. and and really didn't even come to a full stop, but it was enough for her to jump out with the baby um, and fled. Um, And so with that said, those are our actual crimes that we know of for sure. Now, there are countless ones before and after that people think – uh, ranging all the way up to thinking Ted Cruz is the Zodiac killer. It's went on for decades. Accurate. Even though the um, age does not work. But the only other thing I want to... saw Ted Cruz eat that booger in that video? <laughs> he was the Zodiac killer. The only other thing that I want to point out that's very important that I didn't mention because we're mentioning the actual crimes are the letters. The oh, letters yeah. are what make the Zodiac killer. Um, because we don't have a regular pattern to the crimes but what we do have is a place in the media. And so anytime, and you go back and look through this, anytime a kill, serial killer wants the attention to, and uses the media for it, they're instantly remembered yes. yep. and they're, and they're catapulted up on a bigger scale. Now with this, the Zodiac, I don't think if, if the ciphers were there and the personality and the arrogance and the writing, I don't think we'd be talking about it today. I think there'd be a handful of unfortunate crimes that may never even have been linked together because they're so different. Yep. Um, but what would happen with this is uh, the the big first one was mailed out to three different newspapers there with portions of a cipher. And they were told that if they didn't publish that on the front page of each paper, that he was going to kill again. Sure. And so he put this obligation yeah. For them to put that out there. Yeah, don't put that video on me, Ricky Bobby. <laughs> yeah, and so uh, what's uh, even more incredible about it is the first one was solved by layman. We had a teacher yep. uh, that helped do that. It took them the better part of their Sunday, and they solved it. Um, so, And again, those letters are online if you want to read them. I don't need to try and impersonate the Zodiac Could Killer in his words. <laughs> Talk in his low voice like they have from the 911 call. I was going to say, to me, the, the 911 calls is kind of, to me, what linked. That's that's when I think they started realizing. Yep. Because after the 2nd, after the 4th of July. Yeah, and I was going to say, or, we, we have the letters, but we also have the trail. Yeah. And so, like, at Lake Berryessa, he writes it on the car, the car out on the road, yeah. what he's done before and the dates and where. And then the phone call after um, the second attacks where he mentions that he killed the kids back around Christmas. Um, and so he leaves this bold trail and he tells the um, police how stupid they are the whole time he does it. Yep. Um, and he was never caught. Coincidences in both cases we're going to discuss tonight. Uh, both of them had utter disrespect for the police. Yes, but very, very different approaches and um, things driving. There's always them. a certain level of arrogance, though. Oh, sure, sure. And it's interesting to me, Zodiac, the thing that links me most to Zodiac is just the fact of how much time I've spent out in the Bay. You know, Mm -hmm. I went to seminary out in the Bay, and then I've got family in San Francisco. And, like, man, you think about the time period, too, with this just being, like, the end of, like, the summer of love. And, you know, it's just that peace and flower power and all that stuff. And, and, you know, not only was Manson, you know, big. Which is important to remind, too, Manson buried this nationally. Yeah. 
Right. People in Indiana, where we are, didn't know anything about the Zodiac Killer. Everything was Manson. Yep. This was not a huge, huge story. It kind of retroactively became more and more fascinating to people across the country. Yeah. This was more of a localized Bay Area terror originally. But you think about places like San Francisco. Mm-hmm. I mean, we still think of San Francisco as a hippie town, a place of love. And yeah. you think about him, you know, this thing in Modesto, like that's where American Graffiti was filmed. Like Modesto was like a snapshot in time of like yeah. a classic car. Well, and I worked like earlier this year, not far from there. And I found myself out on co- those country roads going to where I was going in Stockton. Mm-hmm. And I thought about the, the story of this woman out there on that road, just how kind of creepy it was. Oh, yeah. It's interesting, too, with you talk about the, the summer of love and that generation to look at the description of this man that looks like the the beacon of the fifties mm-hmm. coming in and cutting them all up. Yeah. And that's what I think is also kind of lost in the, the telling of this story. That's it's, it's kind of sinister and symbolic mm-hmm. because this happened close to Altamont too. Oh yeah. With the attacks that many people kind of view as the end of the hippie generation. That was right around the corner at the same time. It's on the, they're talking about it on the radio before it's happened. They're advertising the concert when Gyllenhaal gets in the car in the movie. Yeah. So it's it's weird how all those things kind of happened at the epicenter of it. For those of you listeners who don't know, Altamont was a concert where the Rolling Stones hired the Hells Angels to be their security, and they stabbed a guy to death. <laughs> yeah, and if you haven't seen the documentary, give me shelter, watch it. It's I yeah. fascinating because it starts out as a concert documentary, and they get the stabbing on camera, then it turns into a true crime documentary. Oh, wow. It's one of a kind. Yeah, I've read a few books by some Hells Angels, and <clears throat> they're unfavorable in that story. But yeah. Um, so do we want to say much more about the case or do we want to jump into the movie? I think we should jump into the movie. Let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah, I think, I think we should. Um, so the film Zodiac came out in what year? 2007. 2007 starring, uh, well, everybody. Yeah, I know, right? (laughs) The the pre-Marvel universe. You got the Hulk, you got Iron Man. Chloe Savini. (laughs) Who was that? pronounced? It's Chloe Savini. Okay. Okay. Yep. Yep. All right. David Fincher. Uh, Dur- David Fincher directed Dermot Maloney. Um, I can never pronounce his name, but uh, Donnell Don- 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 Logue from Gotham. Oh, yeah. Uh, Can- Candy Clark. Uh, Casey Jones. Elias Cortez. From Ninja Turtles. From Ninja Turtles. <laughs> right. Brian-, Brian Cox. Anthony Edwards. Man, I mean, just it yes. is a star-studded cast. I did. Uh, so, so uh, I've never watched this movie until nor the, I till till this weekend. Really? I've oh, seen no, this. Never seen I've it. seen this a shameful amount of times for a movie that's only been out eleven years. I, I, I think this is one that uh, oh, wow. working at the video store and having to stay current and ahead to order movies. Um, I remember starting the movie. I don't know why I never went back and revisited it, but um, yes, yeah, so I never watched it shamefully, but. I think that I think that after watching this movie and then we get into the other movie that we watched also something that I think this really drove home for me that I don't think I ever really took into consideration with these cases is how the the detectives working on these cases are really you can add them to the list of victims yeah. Oh, yeah. With the effect oh, that yeah. it has on their personal lives, on their family Forever. lives, on their health, like really, you can add them to the list of the victims. Like it eats up so much of their life. Yep. And the the consequences of having to be 
obsessed in order to bring these people to justice is, is it's a good I, point. I don't think I, I don't think I've ever looked at it that way until now. And maybe that's maybe that's the adult in me looking at it from a different perspective than say if I had seen this when I was a younger man. But yeah, uh, I'll, something I, I never associated until watching this was the Mark Ruffalo's character was the the basis for Bullet. Bullet, yep. And um, and um, Dirty Harry. Yep. Oh. More so the the yeah, the de- the Bullet that Steve McQueen yeah. that's based on Dave Toski. Yeah. This movie, it's not like the third time I've watched it, but man, it's just so damn well made. It is I, uh, a very well made. Film. I watch it around the Fourth of July every summer, just because I love it that much. I don't yeah. get tired. I, of it. I think it's odd that, uh, and and I think I read that they uh, they had uh, uh, some studios turn it down initially. Actually, I'm shocked that big uh, Warner and Paramount back this movie mm-hmm. because it is a movie where it ends and it's not resolved. No resolution. Yeah, yeah there's no resolution. Um, they could have like uh, Hollywoodized this, but like it was pointed out earlier by a professor that. They decided not to even put any of the murders that there wasn't a living witness yeah. of some kind. Yeah. Um, so some of the crimes that we even that are are largely based off that everyone kind of knows Zodiac's attached to that they didn't put in the film. Um, and I'm sure a lot of people would say it's a slow burn. Uh, but uh, <laughs> to me, watching the movie, I will say. I didn't realize Charles Fletcher was in this movie. Oh, Roger yeah. Rabbit, so creepy as. I'm getting goosebumps talking about it, but that that scene, and I, I I think that's what's cool about the movie is number one that they use three different actors to play Zodiac. Yep. Um, it's which is smart because no one really there's not a there there's a prime suspect, but there's really no one has a clear answer. I feel like they lead they focus on a suspect. They lead you to believe that 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 was who did it. But that's uh, not proven, so they don't. They it's don't not proven, it. and also I can tell you from having looked at other things other than just this movie, it, when I this got me interested enough to look around, I don't think it's him. Yeah, but I but so and I'm, that's why I'm like I'm not sure if the with the scene if he was just if he was a killer or if he was the Zodiac or what. But that scene with Charles Fletcher. It was very it's, creepy. It was, was a very creepy. Like I'm not gonna lie, when he actually started turning the lights off in the basement and rushed him, uh, and and he ran out of the house, I was that was kind of scary. Like <laughs> when he was and, worried and, you wasn't gonna give him that twenty dollar bill. Add too, that um, number one, we're close to the fourth, but you know uh, where we live, they did fireworks last night. So watching this movie with uh, large booms of fireworks going off while I'm watching it, so I had like a 4D <laughs> vision. Of Zodiac <laughs> going on, so uh, pretty creeped out while I watch this movie. Um, I think it's important to remember too with this film that this is based directly off of Robert Graysmith's book. Yeah. Um. So, which you know he came out with, uh, I think it finally got published like maybe in '86. Um. It's it's just as much about the obsession and the quest for justice and solving something and wanting to know as it is about the crimes. Mm -hmm. And so you really have um, multiple movies within one. You have multiple leads. Um, We don't have the two leads on screen together till like halfway through the film. We run through all of the crimes at the beginning. And then it's about all that, how it affects everyone. And so 
over time, I've come to appreciate more how we ended and the focus with the particular suspect strictly because that's we're watching Jake Gyllenhaal basically ruin his life oh, yeah. over this. And this is all that he's got to Man. show for it. This is the best that we can get to. Um, and so I just I want to clarify right now. I think this is the best true crime ever made. Yep. Best true crime movie ever made. Um, I don't think anything even comes close to it. I think yeah. there's been many wonderful movies before, and there'll be many others, but I don't think anything will ever top this. No one challenged me when I posted that on Facebook that it's it's one of the best true crime films ever made. But if they had challenged me, I would have said, if there is a better one, I can't think of it. Yeah. there's Well, and because there, there's no weakness to it that you usually will encounter with true crime films. With, um, well, they, t- they Hollywoodize almost any movie. Right. Watch. With TV I, movies. I don't think they did that in this movie. Yeah. With TV movies, it's more about the detectives and cleaning it up because we're airing it on television. And right. so we learn the story more than we do about the exploits of it. And with films, a lot of times they go too gross with it and going into the shocking aspects right. of it. And so you very seldom will find a balance where you have an intelligent, stylized film that is 100% accurate. I, one of the only ones that I can think of is In Cold Blood. Mm-hmm. That's another one that's. Well, what kind I was impressed realm. with with this movie is uh, number one, the cast was just. They're all great. Name after name after name. Nobody was over the top. Like, nobody was hammy. Everybody, Robert Downey Jr. was great. Mark, I mean, everybody in this was great, but. What, no one was trying to steal the scene. No. Nope. And, what, and I said this to Grizzly the other night. Uh, it kind of surprised me that Chloe Savini. Played the role that she did because that felt like a role that anybody could have done. Like, and and that's not to degrade her as an actress at all. It's just what she was given didn't feel like that it would have required a whole lot of range. You know what I mean? And for them to spend the money on somebody who has a recognizable name was kind of a surprise to me. I think it's because uh, it's it's David Fincher, and I think. I think bigger and like not to put her down, but I think bigger names no. would have done a smaller role just and it, to be and it's, in a part of this. Yeah, movie. and it's not a, that is not a jab at her in any way, shape, or form. But I think that a lot of movie makers would have just gotten some anybody to yeah. play that role, or, or that the, the, the actor there. would have thrown a tantrum to have more more uh, right. more lines yeah. and and a bigger part. And since then, I've thought about it more, and that's kind of Chloe Chloe Seven. Chloe Savini's uh, <laughs> legacy <laughs> is that she uh, um, she's always just played muted roles, but done them very well. Brown Bunny, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Uh, or, or even think about uh, her character in Big Love. Um, obviously, I think another. Is, but I'm thinking like that's her thing is like that she yeah, she my is boy. she is happy with being. Like she, a, she, she wants an authentic the, scene. She, yes, she she's more worried about playing a realistic role. I'll tell you what, and, and I'll tell you this from doing, I mean, some acting clearly not on that scale, uh, but there is something to be said for somebody who is able to play second banana. Yep, I tell you, it does take a certain amount yep. of talent, and, and Costello was funny because pro- Abbott did his job. Yeah. yeah, to play second banana. Well, and that you know, it's funny that I bring up Big Love because you know Bill Pullman was in that. Oh. Paxton. Paxton. And, and everyone always thinks like Bill Paxton always plays Bill Paxton, but that's the role he was meant to play. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like these roles yeah, yeah. where if you're just satisfied playing like the everyday character, the everyday person, you won't, you know, get super famous off of that, but 
you'll become well known because people are like, hey, you need a solid actor that's going to play someone who's not trying to steal the scene. Yep. Yep. You'll get those roles, and I think that's what Chloe has done. And yeah. That's her. Response. I think having the, the cast that they did too, because because there's even names we haven't mentioned like James LeGrosse and Adam Goldberg and right, uh, not from the Goldbergs, but the the other Adam WCW Goldberg, the other Adam Goldberg. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, is it Clea Duvall? Clea that Duvall. Was, that was in a lot of. There's a term prison. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'll stab you in the eye. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I I think it added to this movie because uh, I kind of feel like they did the cast the way they did because as it keeps rolling through. Like, really, anybody could have been the killer, and even the 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 actors that played Zodiac, they all are different shapes and sizes. And um... this is the closest thing to modern Kubrick you will see. This film is that meticulous. Yes, every single thing in this film has its place and was a decision. In a two-hour and forty-five-minute film, there's no throwaway scenes. Yeah, yeah and the the only thing that I've seen that people had to, and it wasn't even a gripe that that they pointed out was like some of the some of the time uh, timeline, like the Clint Eastwood movie. Right. Uh, it was, if that's all they could come out with, like great film. Yeah, those um, would have been the same people bitching when the movie was three hours and twenty minutes to make it a true timeline. It's right and though. something that um like normally we we focus on the movies, but I will say again, watching it first, I watched some of the extra features. And the one that got me was where um, they were talking to the two male survivors. Yeah, um, and the nine one one operator that took the call. Yeah, so, so those were all like their accounts were chilling, but like even um, I just went blank on his name, but the second survivor, um, Brian Hartnell. So when who's he, in the movie? Yeah, and, well, and, and he discusses too uh, watching the film in theaters that that it was so accurate that even even watching the movie had to turn away during the the stabbing scene. Yeah. Um, but like they're just a account of it, and like uh, even even I feel like everybody touched by the the real life Zodiac wants to solve it. And I think that's what makes sense that when the movie came out, yeah. the case reopened. Um, I was gonna say before we do closing thoughts on this one, I just wanted to share a few things on how meticulous this was that blow my mind. He Fincher took Brian Hartnell out to Bar- Lake Berryessa, got him to go out to where this happened to him. And had him describe the scene, they helicoptered trees in to make it exactly like it was for where he was laying, how the area looked, where he hid behind the tree. They helicoptered trees in to this area to make it that exactly like the lighting everything would have been when he went through that. Because he said, I'm going to take what you went through this serious and got him out there. They hired a private detective to track down Mike Majot. Nobody knew where he was. A P.I., for this movie found him and got him to cooperate and like help them with it. Um, the victim's clothes I was gonna say the didn't exist. Designer. They remade them. He had them track down the materials, sew them and remake the outfits oh instead of just getting something that looked like it. They are wearing the exact clothes that the victims would have been wearing, including Mike Majot, who had, I think four layers on because he was insecure about his size. Mm. So that kid in the movies wearing all those layers. I mean, like everything is that detailed. He has cameos of people throughout the film that aren't distracting. Brian Hartnell, the Lake Barry Esselin, he walks by the steps when uh, he asks him if he wants a hug. When he asked Toski out there on the steps when he's upset, he's like, what do you want? You want a hug? Brian Hartnell walks by. Wow. The daughter of Donovan, the musician who plays Hurdy Gurdy Man in the film, which is kind of like the, the main song for it pops up in the movie that's how every little detail in this has its place 
and is truly in line with what happened. You, we're never going to see something like this again. No. That is also not stuffy and entertaining. Yep. That's just. I think it's the best movie of this new millennium. And what, what was the what was the song playing when uh, at the toward the end when he goes up to to look at uh at Lee? I can't think of it. That's the one they opened with too, Hurdy Gurdy Man. But what's what's uh I feel like it's connected with uh oh it's 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 uh something to do with Baker Street. Mm, I don't remember. So that's his like Sherlock Holmes moment. Yeah, oh yeah, that's, that's right. Good point. 223B Baker Street. So in wrapping this up, um I've already doted on how much just how well this film is made. David Fincher is an artist. Um, Fight Club's one of my favorite films of all time, so it's just, you know, no, no surprise that he, you know, knocks this one out of the park, too. Um, but, man, one last thing I just want to say is just that that scene on the beach where they are hogtied. Terrific. And stabbed. It's my worst nightmare. Um, I've talked about this on the What Scares You stuff and yep. things like that before, but, like, to be with my loved one and to not be able to protect them is is in my worst night. And, and you know, we we didn't mention either the 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 gun where he asked them, was the gun even loaded? Yeah. Um. And and he pulls the a full clip out and puts it back in just yeah. to to stab him. Because because yeah. it almost I think even in real life, I don't think he thought that they were going to be harmed. Yeah. And, and, and exactly right. It's, and it's, same it's, thing it's with the, the movie. Whole, it's the whole nine eleven thing. You yeah. know, Like they they the hijackers told the people just do what you're told and no one gets hurt. You know, it's this whole idea, like, if as long as uh, a terrorist or a killer is convincing that they aren't going to hurt you, you'll go along with whatever they say. Because he even says when he asked him to lay face down after he hog ties him, he's like, we we have done everything. We don't have anything else to give. Yeah. Yeah. Any final thoughts about Zodiac? Um, the movie's great. Watch it. Watch it. Robert Graysmith's book, if you're really interested, is interesting. It's just as much about the case as it is about him if and, you're not interested after you watch the movie you will be and one other quick thing i'll be brief here if you're interested extra interested both either in this case or bizarre cinema watch the zodiac killer uh agfa put this out within the last year it was the first blu-ray they put out they're affiliated with something weird video mm-hmm. uh, this came out while the killings were happening this was made by a man in the bay area who funded this wow. and did screenings only in san francisco the only reason was to catch the killer. You will never see anything else like this. That. This movie, it's not accurate. He puts things in there to infuriate the killer on purpose. Slights at you know, little jabs at him. But also on top of that, made them sign in to watch the movie so that he could gather the handwriting of every single person that attended Didn't they have a them. guy hiding in a box? Yep. Yeah. And so if you're really interested, check the Blu-ray out. There's a commentary with the director. It's one of the most bizarre things you'll ever I remember hear. Hearing he about, talks about, about the about experience of making it and his obsession with catching it and wanting to help his community and all of these things that he did at these screenings to catch him. The movie's goofy. Yeah. But I just I want to make sure I mention that before we moved yeah, on because yeah. it's no, it's cool. so, so weird. So but before before we move on though, does anyone have like like who do you think the Zodiac is just by the case and any any my I, my theory, I'm glad you asked. I think it's a group. I don't really? think I don't, don't think, think it's it one guy. I don't think it's one person. I, I could see a group, and I think even in the movie they depicted like you know that it could be anybody. I would say Lee just because it's where they lead it, and if you look further, like the the fact that he could write with both hands, 
The thing and, is, and, and is, that like with one hand, it was it like each hand looked different. I think that Don Chaney that turned him in that they put in the movie. I think there's weird stuff with him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that things always don't line up because I just think it's a group of people. I think it's a group of people that maybe hated San Francisco and what it had turned into. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know the driving force. It could be like anything. An group. Yeah, but they, but they all like almost overdid the 50s appearance yeah. and went out and attacked youth and, and then into the city. And, I, but the thing is, is you get into DNA and other things and they don't match up. Mm-hmm. But then these other things that are insane do match up. There are a lot, like there are several suspects where it was crazy. As I look deeper into the case, it's crazy to me how many connections so many different people can have to each of the crimes to mm-hmm. still keep them in the loop. I personally, with what I've seen so far, and I can be, my mind can be changed in the next minute with another piece of evidence. Ross, Ross Sullivan is the one who is a very much of interest to me. And I think he's the Zodiac. Based on the times that it happened and what was going on. Um, I think it could have been John Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> he was very upset with, with the way the country was going at that time. Uh, you know, especially with that whole Marlon Brando feud that he had going on. <laughs> no, I think it's the guy from the movie. <laughs> In the yeah. Book. You know, like, but, but I didn't research that one as much as I'm, I researched this next yeah. case that we're about to talk about. Yeah. I, I will say my closing thought on Zodiac, other than again, uh, cause I could probably go on another hour was watching the, watching the doc of like when they say how, the first few victims, the, uh, the one was a boy scout, like 17. The girl was 16 on her first date and how young some of the victims were kind of, um, the, the one documentary actually shows the funeral for the boy, like where his boy scout troop is like carrying the casket. Man. So I think the fact that like, not only was it like the youth, but like they were actually, they were actually really young. Yeah. And then I, I'm, and, and, Professor pointed it out earlier was that our uh, location, it was drowned out. But I'm not really that familiar with Zodiac, like, nor was I. Yeah, so I think the movie likewise. definitely opened a lot more doors. Um, I definitely would look into it further. But. Cool. All right. Boy, what a case. Just what a case.